Please join me in a word of prayer before we begin. God, we give you thanks for the sacrament of baptism, for the way that you have brought us into your family, one giant global family that even spans space and time. We thank you for your love for us and for um, loving others and the world through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think there's kind of a universal human truth that we all want to be somewhere where we feel like we belong, right? Where we feel like we're a part of something, even a part of something that's, that's bigger than us. Um, I have a tradition that I do. Um, I, one of the things that I do here at the church is I'm in charge of our student ministry group, so our 6th through 12th grade group. And this is actually a, a tradition that I do that even predates the time that I've spent serving at this church. I did this at the church that I served at previously. And on the very first gathering of every school year, we do an activity um, together. Some of the students, I think, even will remember that we've done this. Um, it's a little cheesy, but... I think it does a good job of helping to establish a little bit of that baseline of belonging and connection. It's a, it's a good icebreaker, kind of get-to-know-you type of activity. Have any of you ever played people bingo before? Um, some people are nodding. I'm getting some, like, blank stares. Well, people bingo is exactly what it sounds like instead of having a card full of numbers and letters to try to figure out where you have a bingo. Instead, the card is full of unique prompts. So it might say something like, I don't like spicy food, or I'm left-handed, or I've lived in another country. And the idea is that the people in the room are the people you're playing bingo with, and here's the catch. You cannot have one person sign more than one of these prompts. So the idea is, instead of, right, like we've all, I think we've all been in places where, you know, and this is, this is definitely the reality when we kind of restart our student ministry gatherings is we always have new kids, whether they're kids who have moved in over the summer or they're the next class that's coming up, the new sixth graders, and right, and there's the reality of there's the kids that were there before, right, the kids who have been there. And all of us know, right, what it's like to be on both sides of those groups, right, to be a part of a group that's pre-existed and then there's new people, and also, right, to be on the outside, maybe, and trying to figure out a way to get in. So this is just something I've discovered that works to help kind of maybe bridge a little bit of that division. It kind of gets people out there and connecting because you, at minimum, right, have to have a little bit of a conversation person with someone. You might learn their name. You maybe might put the face with the name. And I think for me, something that I've been surprised with is sometimes those little facts that you learn about somebody, they stick. I'm actually thinking that one of the things that I learned thinking about the I've lived in another country is that something I learned about one of my adult volunteers, Lori Johnson, is that she grew up in another country, and I would have never known that, but she was able to sign that sheet one time. And so, right, it, it's, this, it's a less awkward way of maybe kind of striking up a conversation that maybe doesn't feel so, so forced in the moment. Um, one of the things that, that we talk about then after that is that um, all the differences and uniqueness that we have in the room, right, the game actually wouldn't work if we were all the same. If we had all the exact same experiences in life, then we would have spaces in our bingo cards that nobody else could fill, right? Are we kind of seeing how this works? 
And part of what I'm, I'm trying to help our students understand is that there are a lot of things that we hold in common. There are also a lot of things that, we, that are unique about us, and those are all things that we can celebrate because that's part of who God has made us to be. But I, something I've also noticed is that this desire that's good to belong, sometimes that desire to belong can happen at the expense of other people, right? We can look at differences as things that push people out, that create division rather than can maybe bring people together. Here are some divisions that I'm thinking about in our society that can sometimes push us further apart rather than unite us. Alabama or Auburn, right? That's a very clear division here in, in Alabama, right? People fall on one of those two sides. Rich or poor, that's another division in our society, right? Republican or Democrat. I think at its worst, this kind of mindset that differences are bad can be dehumanizing, right? We can kind of say to ourselves or fall into the temptation to say to ourselves that those people, right? And that's how it always goes, right? Those people, they aren't like me. And so there's something about them that's wrong or not right, right? And maybe even I need to, to fix that in them. We see this polarization happening all around us, right? In our country, even in our community. But this isn't even a distinctly modern problem. The majority of the letters written in the Bible, in the New Testament, they are letters written to churches that are full of divisions and problems and things that need to be overcome to bring the body of Christ back together. So this morning, what I want to look at is the reality that Jesus is the one who can break down the divisions in our midst, who can truly bring people together in a new way. As I was thinking about our actual context this morning of a baptism service, these texts aren't necessarily baptismal texts on that front read, right? We don't see the word baptism in there. But what I realize, especially in looking at that Ephesians text, is that Paul is talking about the reality of the church, right? What we are baptized into, so to speak, right? This community that Jesus is making that is bigger than the divisions that we as humans might want to impose from the outside, right? The sacraments, baptism and the Eucharist, they're the ultimate levelers of things in our society, right? Young and old, rich and poor, male and female, Republican or Democrat, war eagle or roll tide. Every tribe and nation are invited to join the family of God in baptism, and they're sustained for that journey through the Lord's Supper. While this is something, right, that's local in our community, we are baptizing two members who are part of our community here at the same time. It's this global, right, and even thing that spans space and time. We're invited into this story that's bigger than us and that maybe calls into question all the stories that we might want to tell ourselves about how things are. Jesus invites us into a kingdom that is being made new, not a world that's further divided. So if you want to follow along this morning, I'm really focusing in on the Ephesians passage. I think in the Ephesians passage, you'll find out that at the beginning, right, the focus is actually on the Jew and Gentile division. 
Circumcision had previously been a division between Israel and the rest of the world. But Paul says that this this is now nothing more than a bodily mark. Jesus changes the game. He heals the divisions between all of humanity and God through the cross. And by reconciling God and humanity to himself, Jesus also creates the terms for person-to-person and people-group-to-people-group reconciliation. As it says in verse 14, Christ is our peace. You catch how Paul words that, right? Christ is not the way to peace, right? We don't just follow Jesus, be like Jesus, and do the Jesus things, and then there's peace. But Christ himself is our peace, The cross of Christ is the peace of the whole world. It's how reconciliation happens. Something I was thinking about in the midst of this division, something that would have been a very clear marker that would have been known in these early worshiping communities is they would have thought of the temple in Jerusalem. The outermost area in the temple of Jerusalem was called the court of the Gentiles. And that's as far as the Gentiles, right, those who were not Jewish, were permitted to go. They couldn't go any further, and they couldn't go deeper and deeper and deeper into the temple to see the presence of God, right? Only practicing Jews could go further, those who would keep religious customs and do sacrifices. So I think it's extremely significant, then, that Paul describes Jesus as as it says in our scripture passage, as breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Paul believed in this strongly. This was a big part of his ministry. He was trying to break down the divisions in the early church between Jew and Gentile. Oftentimes, the early followers of Jesus were Jewish, and they were putting pressure on Gentile believers to follow Jewish custom to follow Jesus. And Paul said, no, that's not how it works. The church is supposed to be a new humanity made up of what was formerly divided into Jew and Gentile. All throughout the New Testament, its writers, including Paul, they're keen to emphasize that baptism is this mysterious and mystical participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. In his letter to the Roman church in chapter 6, Paul writes this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a sign of our rejection of sin and the new life we receive in Christ. The grace that we receive in and through baptism, right, because it's grace, it's available to all regardless of their backgrounds. Baptism, really in essence, right, it's a joining of this new family, the people of God. We follow this logic that Paul puts in here in Ephesians 2 towards the end of the chapter. He writes that we are no longer strangers and aliens to one another on account of our differences or maybe even the things that divide us, but rather we are all, right, all fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What baptism really is, when we get to the baptism in a moment, it's an announcement that the one who is baptized is God's child. They're part of God's household. 
I think another way to think about this that's maybe another helpful metaphor is one of citizenship. I think it's a helpful metaphor, right? Because there's a couple ways one can become a citizen of a country. You can be naturalized through a process, right, as an adult, or you become a citizen simply by being born in a particular country. Infant or believer baptisms, they're both reminders of God's grace, right? They're not things that we do that give us those rights. Again, that's part of the citizenship example, right? Again, thinking about citizenship, these citizens, whether they're infants when they're born or they're adults who have chosen a particular nation to align themselves with, right, to have a new passport, as soon as they go through that process, they immediately inherit all the rights of that country, right? They are fully members of that body of people. They, they aren't, again, they aren't things that are earned. And so it is even more so with our baptism, right? The kingdom to which we join ourselves, it's greater than any nation or power the world has ever seen. Actually, one of, our, one of the children being baptized is a dual citizen. She holds a British and American passport. It's a reminder, again, right, that God's kingdom is truly this amazing global thing that we're all a part of. I think the miraculous new life of baptism, it's nothing less than the work of the Holy Spirit, right? We're reminded of that. What did we say in the beginning of our liturgy? There's one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? One family that we are all joining together. After water is poured on the head, what's the next thing that happens in the baptismal liturgy? You'll see it. It's a sealing of the Holy Spirit, a reminder that the Spirit continues to give life to us. Again, right, this is not something that we do on our own, but it's what the Spirit does in and through the church. I think one of the ways that we are nourished and, and bound together through the power of the Spirit is Holy Communion, right? Thinking about our gospel passage, in this amazing and miraculous way that Jesus fed 5,000 people, it's an apt metaphor for the spiritual nourishment that we receive every time we come to the Lord's table. It's our family meal, right, that we partake in every week that sustains us and reminds us of who we are. Eucharist, is, if, if we think about it that way, right, it's the fulfillment of our baptism, for it's the meal of new life in Christ. Lastly, I think both baptism and, and Eucharist are reminders that our lives as Christians are bound up together with one another, right? I think we have a temptation to think about these things in individualistic terms, but baptism and Eucharist remind us that it's not just one person, right, going forward on their own, but it's one person who is representative of Christ's larger body. And I think this is why when division or favoritism creeps into Christian community along any lines that God's spirit is grieved. So often we can let our individualism and our preferences get in the way of the true unity that we can have as the body of Christ. Going to church from an individualistic mindset, I think it can be thought of as just upgrading our lives into something spiritually better than we had it before. And while that's true to some degree, I think that misses this broader, more corporate experience that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
No, we are collectively becoming more and more like Christ, right? Did we catch that? Individually, yes, but collectively as well. Our lives together bear witness to the Spirit in our midst. We are dying to sin together and rising to that new resurrection life in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 22 in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul writes this, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you catch that, right? The church is being built together, again, right? Not separately, but together we are being built into a place that is part of the Lord's presence. This means that both individually, individually and collectively, the fruits of the Spirit should be at work in our lives, especially in the ways that we relate with one another and to one another. When we are worried about ourselves first and push back on what is different, it's easy to ask, how can I get what I want or what maybe makes me comfortable? But I think Jesus is offering us a different way in the church, right? When we are listening to the Spirit, we might instead say, how can I love and serve that person who might be a little bit different than me, right? How do I maybe not push them away, but invite them, them in? One of the things that I regularly tell our students in student ministry is that they don't have to be best friends with every student in the group, right? That's, that's not realistic. That's not how it works. I know that everyone in here is not best friends with one another, right? Some, sometimes, you know, that's, that's part of life. But what I do tell them is that part of being in our student ministry group means that they need to love one another the way that God loves them. Because the thing that they have in common, right, is the love of Christ in them and for them and through them. That's what they have in common, right? So they don't have to have all the interests in common, all those things in mind. But there's something that the Spirit can do in a group of people who are open to him working in that kind of a way. And that's enough, right? That's enough, because that's how Jesus works. I think this is really what it means to be part of God's new way of being human called the church. It's truly grace and grace alone that we are called as sons and daughters of God, welcomed in the waters of baptism. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.